Yeah, 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 I get that, I get that, but is we live, though? Is we, like, all the way live, though? You heard? Peace. The public. And, uh, power to the people. My name is Miles Xavier. My brother in the booth with me. That's Chestnut Tones. That's Soy Gala. And in this space that we come to, man, the vulnerable are powerful. And in this space, the most gangster thing you could do is surf. And this space is called the All The Way Live Podcast. Every single week, you and I, Miles Xavier, dedicate our time and our energy to give these people a show. And the show that we put on is to share information on things that matter. We dedicate our time to researching them, and we put together some carefully curated content for your cranium. We do this on under the Live House Productions banner, you know, so if you're checking our work, you see we're very passionate about impact work. We're very passionate about community development. We're passionate about information. We're passionate about art and all-around flyness, and we do that for one single reason. Well, two reasons. One of those reasons is we give you stuff. You go to your friends and you sound smart by repeating what <laughs> the information we share with you. We help you look good. <laughs> exactly. More importantly than that, though, man, uh, this is a space that we cultivate for positivity and for motivation because we know a lot of people are going through situations that are quite difficult. A lot of people are suffering from mental health issues. A lot of people are suffering from loneliness, depression, a whole host of things. Some people are just going through a tough week, you know? So this show right here is for people to come through, feel rejuvenated, feel energized, and feel informed. And we do that weekly, man. We got another hot show for them. That's right. That's right. And you know what? Even though we are are going through it at times. We all have our ups and downs. Something that always lifts me up is to be able to say that South Africa is in the building. Johannesburg is in the building by way of Exeter. And uh, through the grace of my brother being here, I'm glad that you made it here safely, right? Another week, man. I'm just appreciative of you being in conversation with you. Uh, and you already know what's going on on this side. Chicago's in the building. This podcast is recorded on stolen land. This land belongs to the Potawatomi people. Right. It was cared for by them. And the violence done to remove them from this land is inseparable from the violence that we see in the city today, this country today, and this world today. So we lift up love for indigenous people the world over. We lift up love between black and brown people the world over. We form in coalitions. We collaborate in. We conspire in. Join in on this. Uh, like that, the intro's over. Let's get into the show. You know, what we do every week is we celebrate people that are doing that good work. You know, that's, that's a big part of, of this platform right here. It was dope to have Delonte on the last episode talk about some of the cool stuff he does with those mental health braces. Um, we shared this uh, last week. We are sharing the work that the Mandua Foundation ladies were doing with the, uh, the conversation. Yeah, man. And, and and shout out even to Drink Booch Not Beer. We had Will come on the show. Uh, we've had some folks that are, are giving some amazing information all about positivity. Uh, and so if you have some positivity to share with the world, hit us up. We'd love to, to lift you up as well. Definitely. Definitely. And because it's Women's Month this month, we're going to be dedicating that type of spotlighting to a bunch of powerful women that we respect that are doing that good work. 
this week is more relevant than ever to shine the work of the ladies at blackwomenforblacklives.org. These are the same ladies that are putting together the funding that's going to help you uh, black students in Ukraine who aren't able to to get out. And if just to be able to shout out their names properly, we are talking about uh, Tokuno. You see now these names. I'm uh, nah. You 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 stepped on that ledge and 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 you're the guy. You got <laughs> nah. I'm the, nah. Nah. Definitely. Definitely. Obviously, Miss Jallo, uh, Miss Corinne Sky, Patricia Daly, Tokunobu Koyek. So. These ladies are doing some pretty incredible work because we've been seeing what's been happening with the immigrant students, the sorry, not immigrant students, the black students and people of color trying to leave Ukraine at the moment. Yeah, man, it's 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 crazy. It's crazy what's going on. And we'll we'll get to that a bit later in the show. But when you brought this story in, man, shout out to you um for, for having your finger on the pulse. Uh I just thought this was this was an incredible um, I don't know, like like uh, triangulation, right? Of of it being Women's Month. Shout out to shout out to Women's Month. Uh, and and so stories of 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 Black women, something that this show tries to emphasize and lift up. Um, but also, yeah, some of the same folks that are experiencing some of the craziest conditions, some of the most uphill battles toward their dreams, goals, aspirations, and even safety are doing some amazing, amazing things. So thank you for bringing uh, this this story and these queens to the forefront. And the cool thing about what these ladies are doing is the fact that they really just heard about the story. Two of the ladies were good friends staying in London and were just like, yo, let's get together. Let's, we're seeing what's happening to our Nigerian brothers and sisters on the ground. We're seeing that they're struggling. There's racism clearly happening at the border. Let's band together, start this GoFundMe and do it. At a target of 10,000 pounds and within a few uh, within a you know a, a bit of time, they were able to raise seventy five thousand the last time that I checked, and that's something that we preach all the time, which is that if you really see something that you want to make a difference in, be the person that does that difference. Take that initiative, even if it's you and two friends that want to start something, do it, and you know that that's how you cultivate impact. From what I've been seeing, uh, a lot of them have been quite vocal in terms of. Their, uh, their active support. I know specifically Tokunobu is, uh, has done some work in our community from what I've been able to read. So definitely wanted to salute them for seeing their brothers and sisters going through something difficult and being the example that people can follow instead of waiting for people to be that example. Yes, yes, bro. Like, I think we all got to take on the mindset of if not us, then who? And if not now, then when? Right. So it's amazing that people step up to that to that plate um, as somebody who like aspires to organize, um, aspires to, to bring people together for for causes like this and to connect people to resources that they need, especially in times of crisis. Um, it's always just uh, reinvigorating to see other people doing this work and doing it in creative ways um, that we can that we can build off of. So. Man, shout out to their contributions to to movements worldwide that can learn from this. And if we're in the topic of celebrating Black women who are leading movements, it's hard not to realize the jarring fact that all great Black movements are kept together, the organization of it, and put together, ran by, and kept uh moving forward by black women off the backs of black women this is from black lives matter to uh, go as far back as you want to even your winnie mandela's in south africa 
Big facts, big facts. And so the serious conversation to be had there is black women are often the first and at the forefront of supporting struggles for humanity in general, right? Fighting for their own rights, fighting for their own safety, uh, lifting up their own voices, but also fighting for other groups of people, right? And enabling movements that have broader repercussions than just for themselves, right? And so um, often those movements get co-opted, right? We and, and so there's there's a there's a real uh, need to re-examine how we prioritize women and how we prioritize specifically Black women um, in movements and in specifically policy going forward, right? How do we make policy changes that reflect what these women have been saying for for generations now? As someone that's on the ground and working closely with the people that are making those types of policies, what would you say are policies that you could put into place that can, you know, bring on some of this change that you're you're speaking of? I mean, uh, and again, we find ourselves in this place where I really wish we had a, a female guest to to take it away right here and 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 go crazy. So, um, but I I would say that. Yeah, I think that there are things that we can address uh, as far as pay gap between men and women. Um, and a lot of that stems from the way that we look at men as earners uh, and women as caregivers. So we have to change those dynamics, right? Uh, we have to change the way that we place pressure on women, not in only in the ways to look beautiful, um, but also like, fam, we gotta like, we're in the 21st century now. We know that Instagram affects young girls a certain way. And like we we have the science behind it. So how can we put in policies in place to force uh, these companies to protect, right? Like young people and young women um, in these spaces where we know society already puts so much pressure on them. Uh, and then there's like, yeah, man, there's, there's just so, there's so much, bro. Uh, and again, I'm not the one that should be speaking to it, but uh, again, lift up the voices of the, of the females in your life. Matter of fact, I'll make a commitment right now to say we the All the Way Live podcast shall not have not nab one more guest without having a woman of color on this job, man. So I think I think that's a great a great ambition to to have. Specifically in South Africa, Women's Month to me means that we have to relook, we have to keep looking further into the gender-based violence that's happening to women in South Africa. They're being raped and murdered in rates that are higher than usual that are higher than average um, if you if you look at the statistics around the world um, our rape rates are particularly high um, only next to those of places like libya uh, not libya sorry liberia um you know south sudan places where there's where it's war-torn in a lot of instances so south africa has super high numbers like that and it's quite disheartening because you see these women living a life where they're just like in, in fear in fear all the time because of the violence that lurks. So policy, all my South African activists, females, let's keep pushing that one. <laughs> like I was saying anything new. Yo, but yeah, for real. I mean, where do you want to go with it? Gender-based violence, structural violence, right? We know that Black women, even here in the United States, face uh, opposition when talking to their doctors and physicians. Uh, they're not treated the same. They're thought to still have a higher pain tolerance. Right. And 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 they are um, treated as such. Right. Like this is a thing that happens and that women have been saying. So how can we put policies in place to make women feel heard, protected, seen and safe? Uh, even in like a place like a, a space with a doctor, a physician, somebody who's supposed to be a professional. Like, we are so behind on these issues, bro. Yeah. 
and to look at my wall of inspiration in, in the books and to quote Laura Bates again, the experience of a woman going to a hospital is very far from the experience of a man going to hospital for some of the reasons, like you said, where pain and um, pain communication and how they treat the seriousness of how women communicate pain is very low, especially that for black women. Black women are dying in hospitals at rates that are also above average. Um, you know, and throughout this Women's Month, man, we're going to do our best to stay informed. Definitely have a woman of color, like my brother Miles has said onto the show, um, and continue to highlight uh, in best ways that we can the work that we're doing to help the women in our communities. Last week, having given out uh, a laptop, you know, we're, we're, we're doing the work. Yeah, yeah. Shout out the Mandula Foundation. Uh, shout out CEO Mo. Shout out P. Like, again, like everywhere you look, literally, right? Uh, at the front row and on the flow, man. Like, it's women. Women are there doing the work. So, um, humbly, happy Women's Month. Humbly happy Women's Month. Then we couldn't go further than to say happy Women's Month to our mamas because our mamas are our biggest fan on the show. So happy happy Women's Month to our mamas. Yeah, happy birthday, moms. Happy birthday, Mama Kayla. Right? Happy birthday to my godmother, my grandmother. You know what I'm saying? Shout out to you all. You said you. happy birthday. Oh well, you know, happy Women's Month and happy birthday. <laughs> and you know, I'm just celebrating all of, everything. Right now, when you said happy birthday to Mrs. Gill, I was like, I know for sure her birthday is coming up. <laughs> sure. Do you know for sure? <laughs> I know for sure. I know. Okay. I don't hey, man. We should link on that. Hey, what we do over here is give these people a hot show, Mr. Miles Xavier, and uh, we've got some great content that's cooking up for him. And with your permission, of course. <laughs> Yes, sir. I should say yes, ma'am, low key. Uh, for Women's Month, we are we're banning all yes sirs for Women's Month. Oh man, this just got wild difficult. But nevertheless, we shall persevere. Yo, check me out. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold up. Remix. Cut the tape. We skip fumble upon. What we doing here? We, we're not oh man. What we doing here? <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. Run the tape back, cause I really run the tape back. I gotta get into this. I got to. I got this. I can't miss. Right. Let's do it. This is important. Yo. Kids official sliding on the instrumental Nordic combos, twisted mental like forbidden jitsu. My clicks initial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had to get, yeah, had to get the vibe right. You know what I'm saying? Had to get the beats going. Um, and had to, of course, get the positivity into it. Because um, you know it's a lot going on in the world. We're going to get to all of that for sure. Um, but first, uh, continuing, you know, our celebration of, of Women's Month, uh, we got to do a little bit of celebrating Miss Angela Davis. Uh, you know what I'm you saying? You see, I messed up. I messed up pre-production, ladies and gentlemen. That's exactly what just happened. Yo, I messed up pre-production, but here we is. We still rocking. We rocking. We rocking. Yo, check this out, man. Miss Miss Angela Davis is a political activist, 
she is an academic. She is an abolitionist. She is an author. She is a Black Panther. She is a symbol of resistance. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, there's a few people that have really shaped my perspective um, on race and class and blackness in the United States. And um, along with Dr. Cornell West, Angela Davis is, is right at the forefront um, of that for me. So she looms super large uh, in terms of like my academic aspirations, the ideas I hope to wrap my mind around. And as an educator and as a leader, um, I'm just in awe of this person. So I just wanted to to celebrate her for Women's Month. Uh, yeah, man. Celebrating Angela Davis. And when when you see the monumental tasks that these women picked up at the time of their struggles, Angela Davis within the 60s and 70s being an advocate for uh, the, taking up the, the, the young... Rev- the prison issues that were happening in the U.S. at the time, which is the burst of the prison industrial complex and uh, things like Amendment 13 and really looking at those issues in detail and fighting against the police as a young Black woman being arrested multiple times. She speaks about the abuse that she suffered at the hands of police. It's still being unspoken, um, just giving it, you know, as 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 it is, as it is, and being a symbol of, of power, man. It's definitely one of those inspirational figures when it comes to standing up for something and despite whatever the repercussions of it will be big facts this was this is a this is a bad system man um the angela davis uh has, has done some incredible things right she's well i think i think this shot right here shout out to the youtube audience and shout out to my brother for for being on the ones and twos with the visuals man always bringing something extra to the show um, but we've got we've got this famous orange turtleneck Angela Davis, huge afro, right? With 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 the intensity of this stare. This was actually, um, I believe, this interview. This was lost for a long time. It was actually from the the Black Power mixtape, um, which is a, a documentary that was released in 2011 um, about kind of the movement between 1967 and 1975 in the states. And it's an incredible documentary. Um, but this interview with with Angela Davis is just it gives me chills. So I'm sure you can find it on YouTube. Go go check that out or check out the whole documentary. Um, but essentially, the one of one of the most famous incidents that uh, you know kind of surrounds her legend is that uh, she was actually charged with three counts of murder when firearms that were registered in her name were used to take over Marin County Courthouse, um, and actually four people were left dead. Right. So as a outspoken uh professor who's you know whose name is now swirling in this mess she's immediately charged two weeks after the shootout j edgar hoover placed uh angela davis on the fbi's 10 most wanted list making her the third woman ever to be included on the list right so she pulls up to the courthouse on january 5th 1971 to declare her innocence right uh, and a lot of people, she's she's credited for representing herself. She actually had a team of four lawyers, but uh, sh- there was decided even amongst this team of lawyers that she herself, who because she was granted uh, the right of representation, of self-representation as co-counsel on the team, should make the opening statement for her defense. Um, and so that that part of 
her her legend defending herself successfully being released um you know on the merit of her defense but also on the merit of a movement to free her that formed kind of uh outside and based on her contributions to the to the larger movement um but she kind of was transformed by that into this symbol of resistance that we know her as today my brother miles coming through with the history of it thank you for sharing that history um it you know as people as people that that try and be uh, active within the community, it really does show you that like there is there was a time where what you stood the most important thing to stand for was the same thing that could get you killed was the same thing that was gonna get you arrested, the same thing that was gonna get you um, brutally beat up. The most the most important thing that everyone agrees like yo we gotta free ourselves. Uh, we got to get ourselves out of this situation. We need equal rights. And having that be the main thing that can get you killed, bro, it just puts into perspective a lot how far we've come, but also at the same time, how much further we need to go and that all of us need to be able to realize that the most important thing right now is for us to look at the kids that are coming up and see that they are coming up in situation. They are the, that is the hope. And the situations that they're coming into are not conducive for them to be able to re to be the full version of that hope. So how do we reach those kids and make sure that they reach the full version of themselves? Mm. Mm. I just, I just want to let that breathe for a second. Because that's real, man. I think, I mean, I couldn't have put it any better myself. Um, I think Miss Davis would would agree with you. Uh I'll, 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 what I will say is I'll put that next to, to her words and as we move to kind of wrap up this segment, but um, she even said, right, that for a long time she felt intimidated. Uh, she says, I felt there was no way that I as an individual could actually live up to the expectations incorporated into that image. There came a point when I realized I didn't have to. The image does not reflect who I am as an individual. It reflects the work of the movement. Um, and even though I still lift up Angela Davis as like, Yo, she's the bomb. Uh, I, I I get what she's saying, man. She, a lot of why she's so great is because she was, she was a part of this time where we just refused to be defeated. Um, so race, uh, women, race, and class is one of my favorite books by her. I encourage folks to go to go and read that. Um, her most recent book is called Abolition Feminism Now. That was released this year. Uh, another another one that I have on my reading list is uh, Abolition Democracy from 2005. Um, yeah, man, go 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 do some reading. Um, go do some documentary watching. Uh, yeah, Happy Women's Month. Happy Women's Month. More show to get into. More information to share. More fire. More fire. Let's get into the current news. <laughs> There's a war going on outside of Mr. Miles Xavier. Last week we came here and we shared a current news segment on the war in Ukraine. Um, to this day, I think that would have to be one of the more popular feedbacks that we've gotten. So shout out to everybody that's been supporting. Start, shout out to everybody that's been watching um, and engaging with us on the topic. It is, it is something that... Uh, there's, a, there's so much that we can speak around it, uh, speak about the, the war in Ukraine, but what has been 
bubbling up and what we've been seeing people really look at and what's been interesting to us is how migration has been treated differently across different borders, right? So you have the Ukraine migration, you have 1 million people that have left Ukraine now within a span of these last two weeks. And the clear question that every, the, the clear thing that people are pointing out to is the response of the European countries around Ukraine, uh, how they're receiving those migrants compared to some of the other migrants that have been so um, coldly rejected from the UK famously prior to uh, this war. Yeah. Um, thank you for, for bringing us in to that context and, and kind of uh, connecting us, bridging us from our, our initial segment. Uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's getting it's getting deep over there. It's getting deep over there. Um, as you said, over a million people have fled the fighting in Ukraine. Um, at least 360 civilians uh, have lost their lives. Um, so this is this is like i just want to put humanity at the forefront of it first as always um so but like you said this isn't the only instance where people are hurting people are not safe people are dying uh we can look to sudan we can look to somalia um we can look to afghanistan we can look to palestine uh we can look to syria and we've covered some of those conflicts um on this on this podcast but there is a. I like the. I like how you brought in the conversation, man. There's a, there's a difference in the way that people have been treated. We we touched on it in our last segment. Um, that some folks of of from of African descent, of Middle Eastern descent, um, of of East and South Asian descent are being discriminated against at these borders. Uh, and what can you tell us about this, bro? What can you tell us about why this happens? What can what can we say about what can be done about this? So the main thing that people are pointing towards is that in the EU, they have allowed for Ukrainian immigrants to be able to work and live in the U in the EU for up to three years, which is a stark difference from what they were seeing with around 2014, 2015, the Syrian refugee crisis, um, where, you know, that same, uh, Germany took in a million people and then the rest of the countries weren't necessarily as up to, uh, doing the same thing, specifically Bulgaria. Um, but you know, Bulgaria was quite vehement in how they were not going to be able to take in any immigrants. And then last week, the, the prime minister of Bulgaria was saying in reference to the, to the Ukrainian refugees that no, these are educated people. These are, um, these are educated, intelligent people as opposed to terrorists that we don't know. So when I see that, obviously what you're dealing with is a, uh, there's a cultural issue that's at play. Ukrainians and uh, the rest of the bordering European countries have felt some form of kinship. Even in Bulgaria, that border has been, uh, that, that border has been not, has not always been there to a sense. So you could claim cultural proximity, um, which is one side, you know, that, 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 that definitely has a thing to, to play, but it doesn't justify, um, it doesn't justify the fact that a culture that is not yours does not deserve the same amount of empathy when at the end of the day is people that are running away from their homes and, you know, no one ever wants to run away from their home. That's, I think that's what's being missed in these, when we think about immigration, it's like these people aren't coming here because they 
have a choice. It's, it's a life-threatening journey a lot of the times, from Ukrainians included. Ukrainians included. I think you touched on so much that's that's central to the, the key issue here, especially when you were saying, um, you know, this this perceived difference between refugees from one country that are professionals um, and are trustworthy and can be easily integrated into society versus people that are unskilled and uh, have this, this, this connotation, connotation of uncivilized, right, and unincorporable into this society. And I think proximity cultural proximity is one is one way that we draw those lines but i think we we can't not say white supremacy in this conversation right like whiteness is often the line that that is drawn along um and intentionally so right so i mean like if we can't if we can't name it we can't address it right i i see the i see the whiteness thing but there's also a bit of hypocrisy in, 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 in how all of us look at situations. There's hypocrisy in how the Europeans are addressing situations. And there's also hypocrisy in some of the African countries that are pointing out this same injustice and the same indifference, which is like, guys, even in a lot of our own countries, South Africa, for instance, there's about 2 million um, immigrants outside of South Africa who come into that country. And the hate that those people see is renowned. Is, is renowned and it's uh, it's not only reserved for um th th there's no class in which you get in south africa being a foreigner like from africa where it's it's not a difficult experience to some extent you know that's that's a unanimous sentiment amongst a lot of african immigrants so even even in that case we don't have that same type of sympathy we don't we don't uh, or that empathy, we don't open ourselves up to understanding that where these people are running from, there's no opportunity, there's no education, there's no uh, sanitary solutions. They're literally on their own, and there's nothing around them that can even provide a, a, even an inkling of opportunity. So when people make those movements, it's obviously because they're leaving a drastic situation. Um, but that's, you know, we're quick, we can be quick to point out what how how Europe is treating other how Europe is treating Ukrainian immigrants against Arabian immigrants, but let's not forget that it's people that are being uh, what they call de disenfranchised from their homes. Not disenfranchised is a better word for it, but but still, everyone is under dire circumstances when they do that. For sure, um, I guess I guess what I continue to see playing out across the world stage is just. These crises that are often started by, right, countries that, or or these countries become proxy battles for other countries, right? The the UK, the Soviet Union, the United States, kind of all have their hands in the roots of a lot of these conflicts, and if not the roots of the conflicts, exacerbating the conflicts over over time. Um, and I and I see the places where these countries try to intervene and the ways in which they try to intervene often reflect an exploitation of certain countries, right? Typically resource-rich countries, right? Typically non-white countries, 
and a, in a way that this plays out whenever whenever white lives become at stake, right? Or whenever the space is is not that. Um, and so I, I I welcome you know different perspectives, and I certainly won't ignore the the hypocrisy of I mean the United States. I don't and I don't know if it plays this hypocrisy, considering it's certainly white supremacy that that plays into the ways that um, the the border crisis and the inter, the immigration crisis across the U.S. Mexico border plays out, um, and we haven't solved that. Uh, and I I need to do more research and, and do more speaking and more activism and organizing around that as well. But I just, I see, I see people, I see, <laughs> I see people that look like me. Um, I see people that look like you. I see people that look like the people that I care about um, having the same needs, having the same, <laughs> the same uh, potential to contribute to society, students, college students, right, that are well on their way to being successful contributors to society. And I see them being turned away because they are immigrants to these countries, because they are, they don't represent the familiar white culture that people think is desirable to bring into these spaces. Um, and so if, if my, if I'm talking on it, my responsibility is to, is, is to say that, um, and I'll stand on that. To, to, to further that point and shine light on some of the different other refugee issues that are, or migration and refugee issues that are happening around the world. You have obviously Syria where over half of the population of Syria since 2014 has left that area. Um, you know, back in back in 2015, we were hearing about pray for Aleppo, pray for Aleppo. Very much a similar type of situation. Very, very much a similar type of situation. 6.6 million of those people became dis, uh, dispersed. Um, one of the highest and biggest refugee crises in the world. Afghanistan was the same with 2.2 million people. And South Sudan was the same recently with 2.2 million people. So these issues aren't reserved for just the Ukrainians and we might even all be closer to uh, a, a crisis sim of similar nature in our own um, in our own countries. So it's just worth being educated enough to speed on exactly what people are going through. What I'm also hearing people saying is why is it that we're calling this a world war when in fact, if you look at Afghanistan, there were more participants actively in those wars, but that wasn't labeled a world war. France was there. Britain was there. The United States was there. Um, Italy was there. The world was there and they were at war, but it was not labeled a world war, but this is. I want to hear why you think that is first. And then I'll, I'll say why I think that is <laughs> branding copyright infringement. <laughs> I mean, for real though. It's that what I think it is is because that Russia actually has the power to fight with the world. The world is at stake. Russia has the power for things to put the world in jeopardy. And that's why I think they're calling it a world war. In this, in the instance of Afghanistan, they Afghanistan did not have the type of military that did not have the capabilities to put the whole world at war as we have come to find out with the weapons of non-existent mass destruction in the in Iran and Afghanistan, right? So that's why I think they call it the World War. Because if the US and Russia have to pop off right now, bro, it's game over. 
Yeah. And I, I think I think that's definitely that's a big part of it, right? Is because Russia, unlike Afghanistan, is considered a country that has the ability um to yeah, to to actually wage a conflict on multiple fronts across the world. Uh but also I think there's a sense of like almost wanting that to be the case. Like I feel like there's a like there's always media sensationalism, but I also feel like we're now in this sense of like since COVID we're kind of expecting like every crisis to be like the next big oh everybody stop working everybody you know go home shut it down uh and i think there's just a little bit of sensationalism and amplification and a willingness to jump to the most extreme headline um based on that and part of that might be like yeah like if what feels familiar there's a like up oh, it's there's russia russia's getting amped up again i remember this feels like you know back in the 80s but i also think there's a there's a certain uncertainty we developed from covid because we saw something go all the way left and i think we're waiting for the next thing that goes all the way left and i hope that this is not that 360 people um losing their lives is is not anything small um but i i'm really hoping that this conflict which unfortunately does not seem to be de-escalating, um, does find a way to to at least minimize loss of civilian life. I can be blamed as being one of those people that after COVID, I now am in belief that something that can disrupt everything is possible. So, and also, I mean, you're bro, I'm, I'm close to I'm close to this madness. This is definitely something that is unnerving for sure. You know, you have a war that's happening in the same region that you're in and the capabilities of the people at war can easily expand it to the region that I'm in. And maybe I'm looking to probably have to work from home again for the next three years because the bombs are wilding outside. Dude, I hope that doesn't happen. But it'll also be mad hard not to tell you I told you so if <laughs> Sarah down the hall gets put on a plane and they tell you to stay there in jail. I'm <laughs> feeling for you. But I'm also going to be like, <laughs> they wouldn't put me on the plane first is what you said definitely not first you think you first <laughs> definitely not definitely not definitely not as outspoken as outspoken as we are they're definitely not putting us on there first but still having that fear right having that fear of saying like um what if it does go all the way left what if it does have to spiral and the worst case scenario as uh, the the scientists are predicting it to be and the analysts are predicting it to be is if the U.S. actively engages in a war with Russia, which means then that the two largest superpowers that have nuclear weapons are going to be the ones that are um, going at it. And that is mutually assured destruction um, almost to every to anybody's metric. There is that element of it. But is that likely it's not it's not entirely too likely so we can at least rest on the fact that the us might not encroach into that territory hopefully because that way it doesn't matter where i am where you are <laughs> it's going to be going down so the criticism that um the criticism that we've been seeing coming to the us and how they are participating in this war because historically the U.S. has been a country that has had the savior complex when it comes to wars. Retrospectively, we can look at their involvement into wars and see that they're very tied to their capital interest. They're very tied to resource interest. 
um, this, the same reason that uh, so much money was expounded, $2 trillion was expounded in Afghanistan um, what, under the guise of terrorism and under the guise of uh, infiltration of, 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 of people's freedom. This is the same thing that's happening in Ukraine, but the response is not the same. This is the same thing that's happened in Pakistan, but the response is not the same. And you try and see what is the common factor that these countries have that uh, can maybe indicate why is it that the U.S. is not springing into action like that. Um, and they don't have oil fields or brown people. They don't have oil fields in them, you know, and because of that, they have to not be able to qualify for the U.S.'s will come save you package. Yeah, or we'll come, we'll come meddle <laughs> and probably make it worse, right? And try and prop up a regime that eventually, yeah, because... <laughs> Damn. <laughs> That's the whole U.S. plan. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and and but that's what I'm saying, man. When what is it? What is it that makes countries like the United States or even Russia feel like they're like it's it's fair game to to kill as many civilians as it takes to advance their interests, right? Um, I just. I, I, I mean, there's capitalism plays a role in this. I, I don't know how deep we want to get into this conversation, but it's like, I, I what do what do you think has to change so that we are no longer at the at the mercy of the whims of the maniacal <laughs> like leaders, like world powers like this, right? Like even because we're not so far like we got real soft now that we have Biden as the president, but it wasn't so long ago that the U.S. had a president who was just as volatile, just as like ready to jump into conflict and as a and as a civilian i don't want to be at the mercy of these like egotistical dudes man for real that's that's what the people of ukraine are, that's what the people of russia are feeling right now that's exactly what the people of russia feel right now where they're now being thrust into the war off of the whim of a maniacal leader and they now have to brace the sanctions that are falling on top of them they now have to brace the decreasing the value of their of the ruble of their their currency just going all the way to the bottom um going through a very fast forward a, a very uh, hastened uh recession so you know at this point in time uh where russia stands is that they're they're in too deep already so they have to it's either all out or it's either all out or nothing and so where the U.S.'s involvement in there becomes particularly interesting is the fact that still 8% of all of the oil that U.S. imports into its country is from Russia, and they haven't banned that yet. They haven't banned that. So still, that's about 24 million barrels, which equals about $2 billion worth of oil that's, uh, that the U.S. purchases from Russia. So um, if the U.S. is, you're seeing all these sanctions happening and trying to cut that, that arm, you know, what is the U.S.'s role? What's the government's role going to be in being able to also participate in the sanctions? But again, that's capital interest. So what you going to do? Big facts. Yeah, man, that's what that's what I'm saying, bro, is that it gets it gets so deep and we have to undo so much about society and know our history so deeply um, to figure out how we got to this place. Um, and so I guess that means more episodes of the All The Way Live podcast. More episodes of the All The Way Life podcast, more fire, more information. I think we're going to give these people a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of good information. We got some comments that are coming in. Can I say something? Amy Chibi, you can definitely say something on the show. 
um, this is an open conversation. And we'll wait for that conversation. We'll wait for that uh, comment to come in. Yeah, big facts, right? And we kind of we kind of play into that as as people. Matter of fact, let me read that again, right? She said, you asked what makes superpowers willing to kill people. The answer is very simple. It's power. In most cases, those who have power see themselves as able to do anything. And I think, and what I was saying is like, yo, I, I feel like we play into that, right? And we don't see ourselves as powerful. Um, we see ourselves as kind of detached and watching this political reality show play out. Um, and we need to figure out ways of taking our of our power back, right? That starts with voting, but starts there, right? What are the things that we can do to organize in our own communities to get to a place where, yeah, there are checks and balances that really make us feel safe. But that's a yeah. comment, man, for sure. It is a dope comment, and we, we absolutely love the engagement. Power is definitely a big part of it, and you're seeing that play out even in the imagery of the Russian president sitting with his uh, constituents, and there's a huge, these, these uh, over-exaggerated tables, and they just spread out in all these weird um, spaces in these massive halls where he's sitting isolated and everybody else is sitting in the peripherals, you know? So it, it, that power, does, it's hard not to see the, the, the power play within that whole uh, within that whole uh, Russia situation right now. So that's a good catch. And it's crazy how everything connects, man. We're going to get into our next segment. We're talking about <laughs> folks that have looked a little crazy, have been in situations where they have a lot of power and a lot of influence and, and maybe they didn't quite know what to do with it. So stay tuned. Let's get into it. Back again. Yo. Is this a happy or sad topic, man? Um, the topic that my brother Miles is so has introduced so smoothly is <laughs> genius. We're getting into genius, Kanye West. I was begging you to watch this. I was begging you to watch this. I was like, Miles, you need to watch it. You need to watch it. You kept on saying no. Week after week after week, you kept on saying no. You would not budge. Um, now that you have watched it, why did you not? Why were you so hesitant in watching it? Because I was already hurt. I didn't need a reminder of how dope Kanye was. Because I remember. <laughs> and I've spent the last few years trying to preserve that that memory um, and detach it from the person that we kind of have seen him transform into. And it was really hard for me knowing how much early Kanye meant to me and the mindset of just now getting to this place of being like, you know, having kind of let go of a hero like that, of being like tossed back into the world of when he meant so much. So it was difficult, but it was it was amazingly put together and it definitely made me feel something. So I appreciate you for insisting that I watch it. I'm glad you watched it because me and you, if there's uh, one thing that bonds our friendship that has now lasted uh, over 13, 14 years, we've been friends over 14 years now. I, I, is that number correct? No, but no, like it. <laughs> <laughs> not even close. But good job. But it's been close. It's, to 10. it's been almost ten. 
Let's almost said, almost said. Since I've met you, we've bonded over the fact that some of our favorite album is uh, Kanye West's album. And so I've been listening to College Dropout, which Genius is all about since it dropped. I've been listening to College Dropout for 14 years. Um, I remember when it came out. I remember being excited, going to buy the CD with my pops and listening to it so much that it scratches, going back a few days later, buying two CDs. So one could be in the car and one could be in the house. Um, still one of my favorite albums of all time. And so the when you talk about the Kanye fan, um, Chicago is, is home for you, second home for me. Chicago, uh, Kanye is a Chicago, uh, a Chicago native. So it doesn't get bigger when it comes to stars for Kanye. So being able to see this uh, documentary after all of what we've been given from Ye, for me was one of the most refreshing pieces of content about him and that involves him. Um, that allowed me to get back into that place where I could appreciate Ye for the Ye that I know. That was beautifully said. That was beautifully said. And it, it man, we were not only like, I mean, I was in this space. I'm coming up. I'm a young kid in Chicago. Um, I'm I'm also like, I'm young, young, right? You talked about having two copies of the CD because one scratch. I had two copies of the CD because I had had a clean version for when I was riding in the car with my mom. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is, this was, these were formative years, right? So like, this is um, somebody who made it okay to be creative. Somebody who made it okay to not conform to what people expected a young black person to be. What people expected a young black person who loves hip hop to be, right? Um, and so to see something that already meant so much, being hip hop and being music, taken by somebody who felt like they were more interested in themselves and their own and who they wanted to be than what the world was telling them was so refreshing and meant so much. It made me believe in myself so much. Um, and, and, and so I think what the documentary does a good job of showing is how real that was for him and how deeply normal in a way compared to who he is now that he was right. And does that mean that any of us and the, the right circumstances under the right pressure, under the right amount of fame and spotlight and influence um, could go places we never thought we would go? Definitely. And that was the whole story that he preached. And, you know, even in choosing this picture, the one with his mom, she, um, she was a massive supporter of his and one that kept on fueling the fact that you can be anything you want to be, Kanye. You know, um, the most endearing scene, obviously, is when he's rapping to her and she's rapping along his lyrics. And they're sitting there together and she's uh, she goes, Kanye, you know, I thought about the fact that you decided to buy all this jewelry instead of having a house. And uh, I was bad at first, but I think it's dope. And that type of support, um, that, that, that type of support and positive reinforcement about his creative journey explains so much of why he is the person that he is and how, how, why he believes in himself that way. And he, and he speaks about that, especially on the last episode where he's speaking on the foundation, the, the Kanye West foundation with his that he started with his mother or is it the west family foundation i don't think they i don't even think they're still operational anymore uh yes yeah, i'm not sure i'm not sure and i'm that's me slipping on my chicago community network card so maybe i can get back to y'all on that one um but yeah man i love i love even this picture like i think part of me even as a kid too even when i was first getting to know kanye and like even when he started to become more vocal uh like there was this feeling of like everybody, we never had a celebrity that might really say what they thought. You know what I mean? 
George Bush doesn't care about black people. Um, Taylor Swift didn't deserve this. Beyonce had the best video ever. And there are these moments where you're like, oh, he's smashing all these social norms. He's not caring about people's feelings. But there's something really, there's something really free about that. Um, and I think we look back at some of those moments uh, as like just watershed moments for for our culture, right? Where like when you talk about somebody who's the voice of a generation, um, there are moments where they where they put what we're all feeling into words in ways we didn't know we needed to hear them yet. And he did that for me personally so many times. But then also here's this thing about a voice of a generation. What if that generation switches from underneath you, right? What if that gener generation evolves past you? Like, thank you for breaking us into this space of being creative and believing in ourselves. But now we want to respect each other fully and we want to put empathy first and we're not worried about, you know, the same things you're worried about maybe now. And um, yeah, can you can you be the voice of, when is it time for the voice of a generation to pass the, the torch? Or to well, a voice... <laughs> <laughs> what is the time for a voice of a generation to shut up? Is that the question? I think so. I mean, one thing you have to give credit to Kanye about that you see is that he does put on um, a lot of people. He does put a lot of people on and you see um, wherever he is in a creative space, there's a lot of people that are orbiting around him. And as from the don't like features, from the GLC features, from from time Kanye has definitely reached to give what he believes to be the voice of a generation a voice on his platform so in terms of what is a voice of a generation supposed to do it's the question of like what's a leader supposed to do when he's bred a bunch of leaders like sometimes they take off and do greater things than you sometimes you still have to pull them in and, and lead them through and what I guess you're referring to in specific is when Kanye was coming out on that Trump narrative and was completely misaligned with what we were going through in terms of the height in terms of the Black Lives Matter movement at the same time and a lot of the police killings that were happening, where in tandem as a community, we we're all facing and fighting the same issue. And here was the voice of our generation blatantly on the other team. Um, and, and hurting us in a way, almost in a way that we haven't even been able to recover and enjoy Kanye in the same way since. I thank you for, for, yeah, just like kind of summarizing that. But I think that highlights like some of the worst moments of like a broader shift that I'm talking about, right? Like even before he actually put on the MAGA hat, like even before he said slavery was a choice, right? I think there was this point at which Kanye we like Kanye was the perfect person to build Kanye's world, right? Per Kanye was the only person that believed in Kanye enough to create for himself what he's create the version of himself that he saw himself as, like the best musician, the best producer, the best rapper, right? When nobody else believed in him. But then you get to this point where you you you're the best person to create Kanye West and i think in some ways the world needed to watch him become this success but then there's this shift where now the world is is one it is not you're not the best person to create the world for everyone so you've created yourself 
and you've created this persona and now you get this power and influence where actually you can kind of influence the world around you. And the best person to build themselves up isn't always the best person to make decisions about what's best for the rest of us. That's that's the the best person that can build stuff is not always the best person that can make the decisions for the rest of us is what my brother just said. That's that's very that's very that's dope, right? That's hard. And it's true. It's the different roles that we play when it comes to leadership and the different roles that you play when it comes to how you connect with people. In order to be the greatest builder, you need us a high level of narcissism to carry you through that. But when it comes to being a collective a collective party decision maker, your empathy levels need to be higher than your selfish endeavor levels. So that way you can truly get to the heart of what people want you to at least motivate for building. And then those two things standing next to each other under the right circumstances can lead to incredible, incredible um, impact. Right. And we've seen that happen in the in the way that Richard Branson, for instance, Sir Richard Branson, who owned Virgin Atlantic and uh, Virgin Airlines, you know, multi-billionaire over Virgin Music. Um, in when the when the Syrian crisis kicked off, when the uh, the Iraq crisis kicked off and Afghanistan, there were a whole bunch of uh refugees leaving from there heading over to Jordan and places like that. And he saw that they needed blankets and whatnot, was working with the queen with the, the queen of Amman at the time. They came together and they were able to like help a whole bunch of refugees at that at that point in time. You have one person on the side who has a certain empathy to the people. You have another person on the side who has the resources and you bring those two together and people get help. You know, it's the same thing. He might not have been the best person to make the decision on what needs to be helped by. What needs attention and help it? Word, word. And then you got to, you, I think, like, I think what Kanye's story proves is that love and confidence can bring you to the top, but you need love and humility to persevere after that, right? And the space beyond the point of reaching what success is, even on your terms, you need a code and you need a support system and you need something that you listen to more than yourself to survive in the space beyond that point. That, I think, I, and that's what I would like, cause this makes me think, right? No matter what I think success is, what am I going to do and what's going to sustain me after I get there? Right. Um, and I think the documentary shows that he lost his mother at a crucial point in that process. Um, I think the doctor was so young. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, he. I think the documentary shows that when you, when everybody told you you can't, you can't, you can't, and you're the only, and you continually prove that you can, how do you then know when you're wrong? Right? How do you? Yeah. How do you know when you're wrong? Keeping it in the traditional sense of how we do these recommended and reviews, man. We talk about the positive highlights and we talk about a bit of the lowlights. Um, for me personally, I have to say that I did enjoy getting to see a whole lot of young Kanye in a way that we hadn't seen him when he was super, super young. Uh, watching the process and the making of some of our fav- my, my favorite songs off, off of College Dropout was super dope. Um, you know, getting to see Kanye in a different light was great in his relationship with his mom. I do feel shorted on getting to, to be a bit in-depth with the 
Jay-Z Kanye period. That would have been dope to see how Watch the Throne came to be made. And that period, you know, more Jay would have been dope. <laughs> but <this. laughs> uh, yes, but that, I would also take some more Jay-Z. Yes, please. More Jay. But that that would be my 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 wrap-up of it. Overall, man, I really enjoyed it. And it's a, one of those hip-hop documentaries that I'll keep going back to. Yeah. I'm glad you smacked me back into recommended review mode. This was for sure just like Kanye. A rant. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my apologies, yo. But um, it was a it was a dope documentary. I loved the way that it was put together. I love the vulnerability um that like was even shown by the director, right? Like it was it was very, very personal. Um, I knew you was gonna be mad though that all that time was focused on college dropout and then they didn't they like jumped over my beautiful dark twisted fantasy. They did a little late registration. There's so much with Kanye. Um, and there's so he he was so great for so long. Um so still is. Yeah, yeah. Uh and I and I like the I like the end of the the documentary kind of focusing on the ways in which he's reached back for positivity now. Um, I think it's a great, it was, it was more entertaining than I even expected it to be. I thought it would get a little cringeworthy at the end, but it was, it was well put together. Um, I recommend it as a, as a watch, even if you're not the hugest Kanye fan. And even if you aren't looking for something like train wreck, train crashy, it actually pulls at the heartstrings a lot more than it is um, like for shock value. So I don't know if we rate the movies, films, documentaries with a number. Do we do that? I got four. I got. I give it a four out of five. Solid, solid four out of five. Four out of five reels. Full reel. Boom. Full reel. Full reel. Cool. Mr. Miles Xavier, we did it again. We did it again, and we came here with the intention of positivity and sharing information. We got people that are commenting and uh, participating in the conversation. We appreciate y'all. More content coming. We got Live House production on the Instagram that is live. We got playlists that are dropping on the selection. We've got additional content that revolves around our universe because we know. We know that we didn't get to Amy's second comment, but we appreciate the engagement, man. Um, we know that we ain't nothing, nothing, nothing without y'all, without the community, um, without you guys talking to us. Tell us what to talk about. Tell us how we can lift up the projects that y'all got going on. Um, tell us how we can do better, know better. And, uh, you know, we just figuring things out in real time, man. We figuring out how to make sense of these headlines, how to make sense of the world around us. Um, this is a celebration of celebrating. This is a celebration of life. This is a celebration of how good it feels to be black. Don't it feel good, Sway? I love it. And we hope it feels good to be you. We hope you love the skin you're in. Um, so take care of it. You know what I'm saying? Eat something delicious. Hug somebody you love. Peace, water, like that, we go. Yeah, 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 I get that, I get that. But is we live, though? Is we, like, all the way live?